I'd like to uh, thank Charlie Cho one more time for uh, the previous interview. Uh, Charlie Cho, the franchisee at Supercuts. Thank you again, Charlie, for coming on. And I'll take your advice. And I won't uh, try to cut my own hair. I'll wait until Supercuts opens. And hopefully that'll be soon. The next interview, I got a real treat for you. Now that uh, many small business owners have received or going to receive their PPP money, their payroll protection program money, now we need to make sure that we're tracking it properly so that we have proof that we're doing it right. Because you know that the government eventually is going to want to see that. So uh, next I have Jeff Krushka, CPA. He's the principal at BS&P CPAs. And uh, you're going to like this one a lot. And if you're listening to this, you're, you're probably going to watch it because he's going to walk us through parts of a spreadsheet that he put together to make it really easy to track the PPP. And he's been uh, gracious enough to share it with me. So I'm going to have that in the show notes so that everybody who has PPP is going to have a very easy way to track it. Next up, Jeff Krushka, Principal, BSNP CPAs. Okay, I'm here with Jeffrey Krushka. He is the principal at BSNP CPAs. Jeff, if you could please just tell us a little bit more about yourself and uh, tell us a little bit more about BSNP. Sure, Tony. Um, so, I guess, like you said, I'm a principal at Brock Sheraton Polikoff. Um, started there at the beginning of this year, although that's a result of a merger of firms. Uh, my pre my uh, previous firm, Shunk Wilson and Company, I've been there for about 12 years, and we merged with. Brock Schechter and Polikoff um, on January 1st of, December 31st, 2019. Um, very similar types of firms. Uh, now we have about 70 professionals. That includes our admin staff and our bookkeepers. We serve, you know, mostly closely held businesses um, and individuals in, you know, not just Western New York and some other areas as well. Um, you know, we provide audit and insurance services, uh, heavy focus on tax and cross-border tax. Um, we have some outsourced human resources functions as well as um, outsourced accounting services as well. Um, so pretty well, um, you know, well-rounded firm. My background, I've worked, you know, as a generalist in a lot of senses, just because of the types of clients we serve at Shunk Wilson. Um, you know, so I have a good background in audit and tax, nothing terribly specialized, but stuff that's applicable to uh, closely held companies and small employers in this area. Excellent. Thank you. Uh, you know, as, as a, a quick aside regarding the CPA firms right now, I know that this uh, Corona crisis happened uh, right near the tail end of uh, what is called busy season, which is, you know, the uh, tax season and yeah. uh, the time where CPAs are working basically 24 uh, seven. How, how has that affected the business during the Corona crisis? I mean, first of all, I should say that we are lucky in this line of work that we can continue to work. I mean, we're considered essential, quote unquote, but really like we we don't have we have a brick and mortar place of business, but we don't have to be there to do this. You know, we had prepared a bit for for this, um, you know, to have people work remotely. We started to phase it in and then things um, changed rapidly. And around the third week of March, right after the March 15th deadline, we made the decisions to send some of our, you know, a good chunk of our employees home and have them work in shifts. Um, 
the, the biggest thing that's been a change for us is one, you know, if you're, if you're working at home and you got your family there and you're balancing that life, obviously that's an adjustment. But two, communication is a big, a big adjustment here for us too, because you have some employees working early, late, the same thing happens to your clients. Some of them, um, you know, aren't able to contact you the way if they're used to calling and, you know, they don't have your cell phone, you've got to, get, you know, get them up to speed on that. Um, some people don't, you know, communicate with email as well. And it, just getting those pieces back in place has been good. And, and also the, the, at the rate at which things have changed, you know, we've been looking at guidance from, you know, the treasury department on when deadlines are going to be moved to, you know, they would make an announcement and then, you know, us in this profession would say, well, what about this filing, that filing, that filing, and then wait for answers on it. Um, and so our busy season kind of evolved from the traditional one, you know, then working at home. And then things really started to focus on these new pieces of legislation. Um, as they moved the tax deadlines back, people were more concerned with how do I, how do I participate in these programs? Which one is the best for me in my business? Excellent. Uh, the payroll protection program. Now, uh, mm -hmm. for those who we'll get to the ones that didn't get it, uh, but for mm -hmm. those who did get it, um, it's uh, what, let's just kind of summarize what can be covered through the payroll protection program. Sure. So the payroll protection program, I think is designed to offset the stress on uh, unemployment um, systems in different states. So we want to be able to continue paying our employees and allow them to have money in their pockets as opposed to putting everybody you know, on layoffs or on furloughs. So what this program allows you to do is if you're an eligible company, you've been able to get your application and now the program is closed currently. It's possible it's going to be expanded. We can talk about that in a bit. Um, but you can spend money on payroll costs, which really consist of compensation, you know, wages, bonuses, salaries, um, healthcare benefits, retirement benefits. Um, and in addition, the loan can be used for rent, utilities, and interest expense, interest on um, both mortgages, and now it appears to be on personal property. So equipment loans, for instance, would qualify as well. Um, any other business debts like lines of credit also appear to qualify. Um, we're not 100% certain on that, but that is the implication. Um, so, and go ahead. So then um, if used for those items, it's fully forgivable? Yeah, so there's three, there's three ways in which the amount could be, the forgiveness could be reduced. Okay, so if, if the loan is not used at least 75% of it on payroll costs, so wages, retirement benefits, healthcare benefits, um, then there will be a reduction. Okay, if you only use 70% 70, 70 of the money on those things and the other 30% on your rents and utilities, you're going to have a reduction to your forgiveness. Um, if you cut your headcount, your full-time employees, full-time equivalent count, there will be a reduction also. There are two ways that that's calculated. That's kind of at the whatever one comes out best for the borrower. And the third piece is if you reduce anyone who makes under $100,000 a year, if you reduce their rate of pay by more than 25%, um, then there will also be a reduction in the amount forgiven. That also result in a reduction in the amount that you spent as well, because if you're cutting people's pay, it's hard to imagine you're going to uh, be able to spend all the money you got under this program. Okay. Okay. So then let's assume I, I filed and I had 10 full-time employees and mm -hmm. let's say that three quit during that time frame. Um, mm -hmm. If I hire three new people, 
uh, will they be covered under the PPP? Yeah, so if it's if it's an immediate replacement, Tony, I don't think you're going to have any issue with a reduction based on the FTE um, calculation. Now, if it's like it's let's say it's a voluntary separation by the employee, they don't feel comfortable coming into work, let's say, or if um, you know they just decide that they have to be you know to take care of somebody and they're not going to go on leave. Um, you know, there if, if it's not concurrent, it's possible you'll result in a a reduction in your FTEs for the calculation. Um, the terms of separation, we're expecting some more guidance on that from the Treasury Department as far as what, you know, if someone if someone voluntarily terminates employment, you know, you wouldn't think that the borrower would be penalized for that, but we're not sure how they're gonna do that exactly. So basically, if you were to swap employees, swap positions, you should be fine. If you fill an existing position with an independent contractor, that will not take care of it. So if you were to say, I had an, an office employee leave and I'm gonna use a temporary service now, that, sh that will not, that will count against you, um, you know, for this calculation. Right, right. And so you're saying that it might, it, it's not clear yet if that would actually apply. Um, what yeah. if it, do you have any idea or is it also not clear if let's say uh, three people left, they were different mm -hmm. positions. You hired three new people under different titles. Um, I don't think that the role from what I can tell thus far. And again, all this, you know, my views on this, uh, I don't, I can't tell for certain, but I don't think that the role that the person plays with the company matters as much is, is it's the number of, full-time equivalents. Anybody who works more than 30 hours a week under the SBA um, guidelines, and I'll send you the, the link to the FTE calculator or their definition. Anybody who works more than 30 hours a week is considered full-time. For part-time employees, you add them up and um, you, you divide their, uh, their total hours worked by 30 for the part-time, and that's how many FTEs you get. So if you had two part-time people who work 50 hours, you're going to divide it, they're going to count as one because I think you round down to the nearest mm -hmm. one. Where if you had, you know, three part-times who each work 60 hours in total, that would count as two. You know, that, that's kind of how the calculation goes. Um, and it's going to be done, it, it's mentioned monthly, but I believe that for, um, for borrowers who are participating in this program, they should be calculating it for every pay period. They should be accumulating that data. Got it. Now, we were uh, told that the calculation was uh, 2.5 times your uh, monthly salary. Uh, however, this is an eight week program. So doesn't yeah. that mean there's going to be extra money? Yeah. So, I mean, if you, if you take like ballpark it in, in the interim final rule, they actually like list the days in there and they say, Oh, you know, two and a half time, you know, two and a half months is roughly 75 days. And they're going to talk about something with like 56 days here, but really like, you know, eight weeks is going to be about 80% of that. Um, of that two and a half times your average previous year payroll. So, but your loan amounts based just on payroll costs, whereas the forgiveness, you have the ability to use payroll costs up to 75% of it, plus these other allowable costs of rent, interest, and utilities. So I think that's where they, they've given the ability for borrowers to expend all the money and have it all possibly forgiven because they've included these other categories that are allowable expenditures. Got it. Got it. Very good. Um, there seems to be confusion on uh, 
when you have to actually start using the money once you receive it. Do you do you do you have to start using it on day one? So the 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 program is uh, it's an eight week program for forgiveness for how it's calculated, and the the day one is when the lender disperses the money. So the day you get the money in your account, you have it available to spend. That starts the eight week period. Um, there is no deferral on that. Okay. So then uh, if I decide uh, that I don't start using it for a week or two after, um, and then I play catch up, is that okay too, or, or no? Well, yeah. I mean, so you're, you can play catch up in a sense. Now, you know, you have to look at your, your non-payroll, your payroll stuff, you're not really going to be able to fall behind on unless you're, you know, an owner employee, right? And you could change right. your own rate of pay. Um, for your other items, such as utilities and health insurance and rent, um, the, I mean, for the, well, besides health insurance, the other items, non-payroll costs, the, there has to be some agreement in place prior to February 15th. Um, so if you have a, you know, if you're behind on rents, well, it can't be like a new rent agreement. It has to be something that you entered into basically before this became kind of an emergency situation here, which they look at February 15th as kind of the cutoff for that in the United States. Um, but that's, that's where it would be. So if you were, but you know, you could, you could use the money on, you know, let's say you're behind on rent, you know, you didn't have enough money to pay last month and now you're going to pay that one in the current month. Well, those are all allowable as far as we can tell there, the guidance on cash versus accrual is going to come into play here. Also, we do, we do not have the answers on that yet. Um, but the, uh, you can, um, but you can use the money on those amounts and you're just going to have to do the calculation at the end to determine if you spent more than 25% of your money on these non-payroll items. Got so it. that's where it'll kind of get caught up. Got it. Got it. Thank you. Um, now this is a great opportunity for essential businesses because they still have some form of, of revenue flowing mm-hmm. through. So it's, it's, it's almost literally like getting free labor during this eight week period. Mm-hmm. Um, what's the advice for the non-essential businesses, like say a restaurant that's totally shut down and has no business? I mean, mm-hmm. would it even make sense to take advantage of the PPP? If you're not going to continue payroll, if you can't continue payroll, um, then it doesn't really make sense. If you could ride the storm out here with this loan, then perhaps it does. There are other choices also. There are other options available. The PPP is probably the best one out there. Um, there is the EIDL, E-I-D-L loan, which was you know, an economic injury disaster loan. Um, that is not as straightforward to apply for as the PPP because you have to show a loss and you know, you, you're calculating it. Whereas the PPP was based on last year's payroll costs times, you know, divided by 12 times two and a half. Um, there is also, um, you know, some new legislation that may be coming, which we'll talk about. And for anybody who has, you know, existing loans, the business loans that they're worried about, could I default on these? At the beginning of this, of this COVID legislation, I think we're on like the fourth one now, um, the, the treasury has told banks that they're not going to penalize them for restructuring loans as a result of this crisis. So if you're having, you know, my advice on that is talk to your bank, you know, if, I mean, everybody is, but talk to them and tell them what's going on and they may be amenable to restructuring a loan, um, going to some type of deferral period, perhaps. I mean, I don't know, I'm not a banker, but they're not going to be hurt from, a 
you know, from a regulatory standpoint for making a quote unquote bad loan because they've had to restructure these. And, and there's for non-essential businesses, there is no deferment. They can't wait till close to the end of June or anything like that, huh? No. I mean, now it's, you know, I'll say that there is a, there, the, the, the Treasury Department wants more money for this program, for the PPP program. Um, they've asked for the first piece of it was $349 billion. And that's all you basically used up the program's closed for applications. Mm-hmm. Um, they've asked for another $250 billion. Um, as, uh, as of last week, I believe that that is just kind of stalled in the, you know, between the House and the Senate negotiations, there is no bill to be voted on. Um, it's something to monitor this week, because again, if they expand it, you, if you haven't been able to get into the program initially, let's say you were uh, a self-employed individual and maybe it didn't open up for you on April 3rd, um, it was on April 10th, perhaps. Well, you should be ready to apply like from day one. Uh, the, the timeliness on this, there was a rush like we anticipated and there were a lot of people who unfortunately got closed out of the program, even though it was very large mm-hmm. because of just the number of applications and every bank was only given so much to, uh, to, to give out in loans. Um, so I would, you know, be paying attention to the news on that. And, um, and I would say that there's, there will almost certainly be another piece of legislation that comes out um, when and who it benefits. I don't know, but, Again, there it's like first come first serve on these, you know. So anybody who needs, you know, needs to participate um, should be prepared. Get their, you know, we already have now really good guidance on how to apply for a PPP loan. Um, either you can look at the SBA's website, the American Institute of Certified Public Accountants, the AICPA has a resource center on this also. Um, so that's that that's something on the loans. And then the other thing I'll touch on is there which kind of got lost in this is there are some credits for employers for giving like paid sick leave, paid family leave. Um, there is a payroll tax deferral for employers. So you can, if I believe I understood this correctly, that you could take the employer portion of FICA <clears throat> and Medicare taxes that were due from February 15th to June 30th, and they could spread it out and pay it over a two-year period, basically remit it over a two-year period there. Um, so there's there, that's a possibility also, um, you know, for, for employers. Um, you know, if you use a payroll processor, a third-party company, um, they should have resources for you on what's available on, on, in that aspect. Um, and then, you know, on the other side, I know for um, my firm, we are conducting a webinar tomorrow or we're sponsoring one um, with an attorney from uh, Phyllis Blaydell who's going to speak on some of these matters tomorrow. So if you, you know, we can put a link out for that. That'll be tomorrow morning from nine to 1030. So that's going to be on uh, Tuesday, April 21st. This is Monday, April 20th. And uh, this is going to go out on, on Wednesday, April 22nd. So are you going to be able to, are you, are you recording that webinar that I can send the link to? Um, Anybody I will wants have to, to check- see it? I'll have to check on that for you. I believe it's going to be recorded. Um, you know, it's sponsored by our firm and uh, shared in benefits. So okay. I'm not sure, but if I'm it, assuming it's going to be recorded. If it is, I'll throw that in the show notes as well. Now, uh, for the companies that have received the PPP, now mm-hmm. they need to track it. And, and I've heard of three options so far, mm-hmm. and I just want to hear what you think about these options and what you think sure. is the best thing, what you're telling your clients to do. The option, the first option is to, to just open up a separate bank account 
and to, to, to have everything flow through that bank account so that you can track it a lot easier. The second is uh, create your own, a new chart of account line item uh, so mm-hmm. that it's just easier to track everything. Everything flows through there. And then the third is just to create a separate spreadsheet and track it on Excel or something like that. What do you, what do you mm-hmm. suggest? So of the three, and I know that there was the first choice you mentioned there about a separate bank account. I had heard about that. Uh, I think that the that may have even been recommended by the Treasury. However, my personal preference would be to create a separate spreadsheet and Excel file to track things. I think it's going to be the easiest um, way for for lenders to um, you know check the your use of funds at the end because you know the application process for PPP really wasn't a normal loan underwriting process, right? You, you accumulate information, you're requesting a loan amount. <clears throat> and, you know, there wasn't a lot of other work that was done on the lender side to determine if you qualified. Now, if you, you know, if you were a sole proprietor with, you know, 100,000 in gross receipts and you asked for a million dollar loan, that probably wasn't going to go through. But if you were another business and you had your payroll tax filings and everything else, and you were asking for $500,000 and your payroll is, you know, 2 million a year, and then you have retirement benefits, it was probably fine to go through. So now on the back end, though, they're going to do more work on how you actually spent the money to determine the forgivable amount because um, the SBA is going to come in in the third quarter this year, I believe, and buy these loans back from the banks. Um, So the banks have a bit more responsibility on the forgiveness side. So for a spreadsheet, now the, the American Institute of Certified Public Accountants, I'm sure, will um, publish a spreadsheet for forgiveness that'll go on their website. Anybody who searches for AICPA and then PPP will probably go right to their page on this. Um, they don't have it out yet um, because of the fact that there are a few items that really there isn't guidance on yet. We talked about the voluntary versus involuntary separation. The cash versus accrual item. Um, I have a client I've been speaking with about the fact that they have a profit sharing contribution for their retirement plan from the previous year that has to be remitted by September 15th of 2020. And it's like the question has been, could they fund that during this eight week window and have it count as a payroll cost? I mean, it's certainly an allowable use of the money from the sense that it's a payroll cost there, but I don't know if it has to be something that relates to that eight week period or not. So there are questions like that that we're still trying to sort out a normal 401k match that goes in with every pay period. That's going to be fine. But something that pertained to a previous year, but maybe wasn't part of the calculation of payroll costs and loan amount, that's a little bit grayer. So, you know, with that, though, we have kind of um, developed some spreadsheets here to kind of track this. And if you don't mind, I'd just like to show you a couple of them and how this would work out. So I'm going to show you one. So this here is my, um, the spreadsheet that I've been working on and what we have are some different worksheets. And did you, uh, did did you hit share screen? Oh, I'm sorry. That's okay. Um, let's see. I want to pick that and share. Sorry. I closed it without hitting share. Can you see it now? There we go. I think okay. Okay, that's better. So let me get you back up here so I can actually see what, oh, there we are. Okay. So what we have, this is a company that's, you know, they have a weekly payroll and they got their money last week on April 16th. 
So the fields in yellow here would have to be filled out the um, the gross compensation. So this is everything, and I think it's important people understand this. It's before any employee deductions for taxes, any employee deferrals for retirement, any employee contributions to health and welfare plans. Um, it's everything that goes out in the form of compensation. Um, it doesn't include reimbursements. So <clears throat> if you have a, a qualified type of um, allow or you know a qualified plan where um, you have you know they get so much for use of a car or uh, you know personal use of uh, you know, their phone or something. If it's an accountable plan in that sense, um, and they that's just a reimbursable expense that's not included up here. But if you get an allowance of three hundred dollars a month for your car, that that should be taxable compensation and that should be included. Mm -hmm. So over this eight week period here, you know, the, I mean, obviously these numbers are projected. You fill in what the payroll would be. Okay, so there's a there's a little bump that goes in the first payroll of every month um, with an auto allowance. Here they back out any employees making more than a hundred thousand dollars annualized. So down below here, what would need to be filled out is you'd have to list the employees who make more than, in this case, you know, 1923 is, uh, would be the equivalent of $100,000 a year paid weekly. Mm -hmm. So anybody who makes more than that gross a week, only $1,923 are going to count. So, you know, we would back out the excess here of $353.84. Um, you know, across this for every, every pay period. Now, on this one, I would mention that we don't know if, um, you know, if you have somebody who's uh, commissioned, let's say, you know, they could have, and let's say that they make a, you know, they get a commission payment with the first payroll of the month. Is that going to cause them to be way over in the first payroll? And then let's say they go back to their regular base pay, the next one, they're going to be way under the $100,000 equivalent. Um, I'd err on the side of caution and assume that that is the case. You know, so if someone gets $5,000 one week and then 1000 next week, I would say that whatever the cap is for the first week is what they'd be limited to, and they'd only count for $1,000 the next week. I don't think they'd be able to catch it up. Um, but, uh, but that we should hopefully get some more clear, clear rules on here also this week. Um, there's been, you know, this, there's been a new interim final rule, but the Treasury has put out um, answers to frequently asked questions. They last updated them, I believe, on the 15th or 16th of April. So they continually add them and update them as they get them from, you know, different sources. And the AICPA is one of the main ones. Um, but these are other payroll costs that I think are important that we'd accumulate. Uh, state unemployment insurance counts, so not, not FICA or Medicare, not those federal payroll taxes, just the state ones. Um, employee pre-tax health contributions should be accumulated also because the health insurance premium payments are going to count, but if you if a portion of that is included in the employee's gross pay, then you need to make a reduction to, to show what the true employer expense is. Um, and then in this case, they have a 401k match, and this is what the match would be roughly every week. Um, then we come up with there's a full-time equivalent worksheet where this is going to be important to keep track of and you've got to look at it for three different periods anybody who has one of these loans can start accumulating the prior year's data so they're going to have to look at the period from february 15th of 2019 to june 30th of 2019 this should say um, based on every pay period so in this case you know if they're weekly that's a lot of pay periods um, and then they also need to look at 
the time frame from January 1st to February 29th of 2020, um, because your FTE reduction is going to be um, based on whichever one of these is more beneficial to you. So if you had 30 full-time equivalents during your eight week period, let's say, um, and then if we look at option one here, we look at the 2019 timeframe, maybe they had, you know, 32 full-time equivalents. But if we look at the beginning of 2020 and they're at 30 full-time equivalents, then we're going to use the 2020 one as the, as the denominator for our calculation. And you'll see that on the next, or you see that later on. Um, and then here on the other tabs, I just, you know, I, you know, for people who are viewing this, they can see the different columns here. But um, you know, for borrowers, when they submit this to lenders, they want to, you know, here we have like the date, the check number, if there was a check or an ACH payment, who they paid, the invoice number, the period of cover, the amount. The invoice that supports this also needs to be attached, but this is all just going to be very important, relevant data. It's going to make this a lot easier for borrower, for banks and to make it easier on borrowers too when they submit this. Um, retirement, if they fund it outside of payroll, you know, if there's outside of that match. Um, Rent, you also are going to want to include a copy of the rent agreement. Um, for interest here, again, this will be not just mortgage interest. Now, mortgage principal doesn't count. So if it's for real property, it's just going to be the interest. Um, and then, but if you have equipment loans, other things like that, um, for personal property, uh, the in indication is that those count also. So you could list those on here for just the interest. And then utilities. Um, I'd expect clear definition on this, Tony, but right now it's, it, it sounds like it may be more than just your gas, electric, water. It may include internet, yeah. uh, telephone, and transportation costs. For sole proprietors or for self-employed individuals, it's pretty clear that that's the case, that you know, your um, unreimbursed mileage would count you know, at the IRS rate. But um, for other companies, let's say you have like a fleet of trucks, well, if that, you know, will that fuel cost count or is that part of cost of sales? That's going to depend. We're not exactly sure on that. But I would say those are probably your six categories of utilities that the people should keep in mind to track. Mm -hmm. Gas, electric, water, telephone, internet, and fuel. So then back here on this summary, we've basically pulled everything from those eight weeks together. And then this worksheet isn't totally finished because we don't have the, the, the uh, FTE reduction in there, but I'm going to show you what it'll look like. So that same stuff has been brought over here. So on a $400,000 loan, we come up with, you know, how it was spent payroll costs. We don't have any self-employed individuals here. This is for a corporation. Um, so we don't have that item. That's zero. Then the rents, the utilities, the interest, the healthcare, and then the, um, any interest payments and of the 400 they spent 362,000 during that time frame um, here's where they would calculate the reduction in um, uh, the uh, the headcount here so you'll see that they had like a two-person reduction and that would result in like a $22,000 um, reduction to the forgiveness of the loan amount um, this one here should be 30 actually, and it should go the other way, but, um, that, that number was wrong. So you'll end up with effectively, um, we say here, uh, you'd end up with 
there was a bad formula there, but you end up with um, of the 362,000 that they had spent, they would have 339,000 as the projected forgiveness. And the balance of $60,000 will become a loan, 1% um, interest, six month deferral on that. And it's a two year maximum maturity, um, no prepayment penalty on this. So wow. even in this scenario where they end up with not the entire thing forgiven, um, they have anytime they have excess working capital, they can pay that off and it won't be, there won't be any penalty for it. And the interest cost on it is going to be probably cheaper than any other debt other than anything that was funded by an owner um, personally. Yeah, no doubt. Oh man, Jeff, I'm a big fan of, uh, of spreadsheets and, and this one is fantastic. Uh, so you're, are you saying that uh, I'll be able to share this with all the listeners? Yes. Yes. We'll be sending oh, this wonderful. over to you. Thank yep. you. Yeah, I'll put that in the show notes. Uh, if you want to uh, uh, share screen, if you want to uh, unshare that. So um, sure. Um, I believe that. There we okay. go. You got it. Um, yeah, I'm, that that's a great spreadsheet. And I, you know what? I'm you sold me on uh, just uh, working off of a spreadsheet because that's a lot easier, especially if you have one that's really as uh, slick as yours and very efficient versus uh, opening up another bank account and or adding a chart of accounts. That's just adds work. You did make the comment, and I, I just want to reiterate that part of the reason for the, the whole idea with the spreadsheet is to also uh, track your detail, have your detail ready, because um, uh, eventually somebody's going to ask for that too. <laughs> yes, yes. So I think that's very important here. And, you know, assuming this is going to be a one-time thing, you know, and, and who knows if they ever offer a program like this. I've never seen anything like this in the time that I've been working. Um, my my expectation, you know, you don't want to be creating or modifying your chart of accounts so significantly for something that could just be a one-time item. And also, like, you know, to, to put it all into one bank account and then start dispersing from there, you're talking about new checks, you're talking about changing accounts for payroll processing. It's going to be a bit tedious. You're guaranteed you're going to have some money that would have come out of your old operating account now, granted, are your funds quote unquote commingled? Yes. However, if you have another way to track them, it shouldn't be a problem. Mm. I mean, the receipt of the money should count as, um, you know, should go as debt immediately when it's received. And I've had people ask me, you know, how do I account for this as we go by over this eight weeks? And I've told them, you don't do anything. You, you have a loan for eight weeks. And at the end of that eight week period, you're going to apply to the lender for forgiveness. And when they approve a forgiveness amount, that's when you're going to reduce your loan and have what's the best piece of this, which is um, tax exempt income. So that, yeah. that's the, uh, you know, and, and even though there are, you know, and thankfully there's people smarter than me that address all these topics, but one of the ones that was brought up was, you know, are the expenses going to be tax deductible because they, if they're, if the loan's forgiven, because, um, I guess IRSD section 265 usually says that, you know, you can't have a deduction for something which you had uh, that's related to tax exempt income. Um, it doesn't, we'll, we'll see, but my feeling is that they're probably not going to do that. So you're probably just going to have uh, an item that's going to be debt forgiveness that's not going to be includable in gross income for tax purposes, um, but that the expenses would still be deductible, I believe. Mm. is how they're leaning toward that. Yeah, that's interesting. Excellent. Excellent. So a couple of other uh, quick questions for you. We're all sure. quarant 
quarantined during the crisis here. <laughs> and uh, uh, who uh, are you quarantined with? Um, I'm here with my wife, who is also working and works for um, a bank in the area, credit card marketing. So she's uh, got a lot doing there. That market changed a little bit. Mm. Um, my two my two children, my son, Liam, who is um, in kindergarten. So we've become kindergarten teachers. I mean, sort of. But we still have help from his <laughs> teacher, obviously. Um, and my daughter, Hannah, who's two, who is a bit of a handful right now. It's not easy for everybody. And my father-in-law, Mike, lives with us also. So it, we have kind of a full house here. Um, you know, every time someone asks me, hey, how's that going? I tell them, you know, it's not as productive perhaps as a, a normal busy season or time in the office would be. Um, on the other side, though, I never get to spend as much time with my family this time of year. I, I never. So it has been nice that we could, you know, hey, when it's a lunch break, we get to go take a walk or for, you know, my son learned how to ride a bike during this time frame. I wouldn't have been able to teach him to do that probably during busy season. Um, you know, so those are kind of nice memories we're able to make here and try to make the best of this situation. Yeah, for sure. And uh, with your spare time, I mean, it sounds like uh, you, you taught your son how to ride a bike. That's part of yeah. it for sure. And what, what else uh, are you doing with your spare time? What are you watching, if, if anything? Well, we watched, you know, we caught up on some of our binge watching. We, we caught up on Ozark. Um, we watched, uh, I was watching Westworld, but I got to tell you, I either I don't pay attention closely enough or it's just beyond me because I, I can't keep track of any who's who anymore and some of these <laughs> characters so I, I kind of gave up on that one um you know but I've got some uh, some books here and stuff that we've been trying to catch up on um you know my goal for this year was to read a couple more books on management um I, you know I don't have an MBA but you know managing people in this line of work is actually probably is important or more important than the work itself um, you know, the concept of leverage in, in, in this industry is very important. You, you couldn't do all the work yourself. You have to have good people that work for you and understand that. And you have to try to maximize your skills. So I have two books on that. One I'm just finishing up now. That's just a quick read. Um, the other one, hopefully I'll dive into because it looks like I'll be home for a little while longer still. And that's the truth along with yeah. everybody else. Well, uh, Jeff Krushka from uh, BS and P CPAs. Thanks again for uh, joining uh, me. I appreciate your time. All right. Thank you very much, Tony. Appreciate you having me. A lot of great information here and uh, we'll have links to BS and P the uh, spreadsheet and um, gosh, I think there's another thing I'll, I'll have to look Yeah, hopefully back. we'll get the webinar if that thing's recorded tomorrow. Yeah, we'll try to get a link for that too. Excellent, Jeff. Thank you very much. Right. Have Thanks, a great Tony. day. You got right, it. You